Casey on the house. Every Arizona homeowner's best friend. Come on around back, Arizona, Saturday morning, 8 o'clock, the outdoor living hour of Rosie on the House, your Saturday morning tradition since 1988. Kicking off the month, an outdoor living hour. If you follow along regularly, you know it's our Farm Fresh Hour, and Julie Murphy, spokeswoman for the Arizona Farm Bureau, is joining us in the studio. And if you have our annual homeowner handbook, and calendar, you know that today we're talking a Arizona cotton. And if you're new to Arizona, or if you've had your head in a hole, that's one of our rich found, founding five C's. Yes, it's one of the most important of the five C's. Actually, they're all important, but cotton is still significant today in Arizona. Uh, the last USDA report on cash receipts of cotton was $200 million. So, and th- that's despite the fact that we are growing so few acres compared to what we used to do. And that's $200 million out of the $23 billion Correct. industry that agriculture is to Arizona. Correct. And the rest of those five C's for anybody that's like sitting there saying, well, what are those? Well, Cattle. So we already did cotton, climate, citrus. Copper. Copper, yeah. <laughs> I knew I'd forget one because you asked me on the radio. No. Yes, and I have a... She's not new to... My knowledge of her, but this young, bright, brilliant woman, Deanna uh, Dewan, is our guest today, and her family has farmed for four generations here in Arizona, and one of your main crops is cotton. So, Deanna, we're going to learn about you, and we'd like to feature our farmers and our ranchers based on the commodities. So, a lot of times, if it's beef, it's going to be one of our ranchers, but today, we're celebrating one of my favorite crops which is cotton, and we do it so well. California and Arizona do it so well. But we want to find out about the Dewan family, some of your history, the legacy you come into. So, Deanna, take it away. Uh, my family has a, a rich history in Arizona. We, uh, My grandfather was born in Puerto Rico in 1917, so he was born an American citizen. It's kind of cool. His father was, uh, his father's father was from Spain. And so they had a land grant in Puerto Rico. And how the story goes is there was too many people on the farm. So somebody had to go. So his father decided to leave the farm there. And he saw an advertisement for help needed in Arizona and the cotton farms or Hawaii. And yeah, he chose Arizona and her, uh, my great-grandmother's family begged him not to go. They were really worried about the children. They didn't speak any English. They were really worried. But they took a troop ship over from Puerto Rico to Galveston. And they actually came in on an Arizona cotton grower's uh, visa, I guess. And they didn't really need a visa, but it it helped them get into the United States that they they had jobs waiting for them in Arizona. You have that. You sent it to me. United States citizen resident in Puerto Rico destined to to mainland for employment by the Arizona Cotton Growers Association. Is that not cool history? 1926, I believe. Yes. Yes. And then it lists his age, his name. So that's the beginning. And it's very clear where your family came from. So he gets to Arizona. This is pre-air conditioning and all that crazy stuff. And they lived under a tree. Really? That, That was their first home was actually under a tree. Mesquite or Palo Verde? Had to be mesquite. Had to be mesquite. Had to be mesquite, yeah. They lived under, and they eventually got a little shack, and it burned down. 
And so they end up living somehow in a teepee. I'm not really sure how, but they end up living in a teepee. And then his mother passed away. My grandfather is Herman. Um, his mother passed away from typhoid fever and left five children. Oh. Yeah. And uh, then her husband, his, his father, went to seek work in Phoenix and left my grandfather with his former employee, which was employer, which was named Duan Singh. Duan Singh was from Punjabi, India. He had come over from, I think he came over in the early 1900s. He had 65 cents to his name, he came into through Vancouver, and you had to have like a couple dollars to get off the boat. So let's just say they talked somebody into giving <laughs> them some money to get off the boat and they threw it back and forth. I thought you were going to say they gambled or something. <laughs> no, no, they didn't gamble. They, let, we'll, we'll use quotation marks. They, they talked somebody into it and they threw it back and forth actually to get more of them off the boat. And he came in and he went broke three times in Imperial Valley. Mm. And he made his way into Arizona and he was known for taking marginal land, like the soil wasn't that great. Farmers would be, uh, people would be leasing their land out and the farmer just wasn't producing great. Maybe they're kind of sharecropping. And so he was known to take very not great ground and make it really good. Wow. You know, I think it's so important that families know the root, roots with that much clarity that you do, Deanna. And I just love to hear that story. And it also, makes us as the next generation more committed to telling that story. So this is a great legacy. But now let's fast forward. And so obviously the family, and it sounds like farming maybe on both sides. Yes. Kind of got their own land. And let's talk about your dad. He's this year, he won one of the recognitions, I think, uh, agriculturalist of the year or something for Pinal County Farm Bureau. But he's an amazing farmer. He is. He is. Uh, he started farming by himself. I think it was about 1961. His, we were, you know, he was encouraged not to be a farmer by his father. He said it would. His father said it would not last his generation. Hmm. And his father had a heart attack at 45. So my dad came home from ASU and started farming. And I can't remember. It's like it's almost his 70th crop, and he's pretty proud of that. He. Luckily, my grandfather bought really good soil. So as they moved up in 1942, basically the government froze the price of cotton when World War II broke out. And he had a five cent, five or nine cent um, budget and they froze it at like 45 cents. So he made his money then and he bought really good land. Wow. And okay. so we continue to farm that. We've farmed since one of our farms since 1945 and 1947. So we're on the same soil. My dad knows that soil in and out. And he takes care of it and he's renewed it. And how interesting is that? So is that what Ruby Farms is, because that's the yes. name, correct? Yeah, okay. that, that's what Ruby Farms. Ruby Farms uh, farms it. It's a, a family partnership that owns it with my dad's sister's family and, and my dad. And you also farm. Yeah, it's, the farming is, is me and my father. We, we're, you do we're it all. It. Yeah, we're it. Okay, so what inspired you? Why did you get the bug? You kind of hinted that you, even your dad, well, maybe he didn't discourage you, but he I think I think I always got the 
thought or, or in my head that, you know, farming wasn't going to be there. We were going to be a lot smaller than we, we continue. We're still about a thousand acres. So I didn't even take FFA in high school. I took French. I That was not going to be my pathway. Parlez-vous <laughs> français. Yeah, that was not going to be my pathway at all. And I had a family friend, uh, Bronwyn Brooks Woof. And she turned to me one day and said, you know what, you knew ever, you know everything about any crop we go by. You can tell us what they're doing wrong, what they're doing right. And I'd never stopped and thought, you know what, I do. That is my passion. And I was lucky enough to figure out that agriculture is my passion. What are some of the crops that you're growing now? We concentrate on cotton mostly. We're really good at it. We average about over 1,800 pounds per acre across wow. the board. Yeah, we had a great year last year. I think we did about 2,200 pounds per acre, over 470 acres. So Is that the short staple? Short or? staple, yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we grow primary short staple. And alfalfa, we do sometimes do some durum wheat, which is for pasta. And we do some barley. Usually we, usually we use barley more for building the soil up than actual it's kind of a secondary crop that we sell but usually it really helps build the soil up so you had a friend up here that said you're so good at this you need to stay in it mm -hmm. and then that kind of launched this commitment and again the Murphys and the Dewans we've known each other for a long time your mom and my mom were in quadrille together so I've always watched you over the years I've always been so inspired by your commitment to it but do you have like your favorite aspects of farming that you like to do or your favorite crops that you like to grow or i love this time of the year this is what i call christmas when the cotton crop is starting to be white and you're starting to see white on the the sides of the roads because they're hauling it in this is christmas to me I, I get so excited seeing the white and we're just starting to knock off the leaves we should be picking in about two weeks okay you have a little girl and you've named her ruby not so much after the farm but sort of, kind of. Yeah. And then you have, isn't it a grandmother you said is a my, Ruby? My okay. grandmother was Ruby, and okay. so we uh, named the farm Ruby Farms. And I have a little four-year-old girl, and her name is Ruby. So and it's a little bit too early to anticipate whether she would want to pursue farming or not. And then when you consider all the growth that's taking place, because you guys farm in Coolidge, but uh, any anticipation of what this little girl might do for the Dewan family in the future? I think that my job is to prepare her. She's going to own land, and that's going to be a responsibility. So I have awesome. to prepare her to keep this going in some way. I think it'll look different than it does now, but we're, I mean, soil runs through our veins. There's, there's no way around it. You know, going back to that question, one of the things that you had mentioned is your grandfather. He could take, I guess, what you'd call maybe not the most valuable or even maybe depleted in its value and he could improve it mm -hmm. do you have you ever heard any of his stories of how he did this or um i think I, I think i've seen my dad do it we had about 80 acres that was not great on one of our farms and he comes in and they put cotton trash on it and they just try to add organic matter into the soil they'll grow something like bermuda grass which has roots that can go down six feet down in the ground and it really helps break up and it really helps the soil profile and uh, it makes water go down, it makes plants grow better, and it's just kind of kind of using that organic matter.
in our Farm Fresh Hour with Julie Murphy And our special guest joining us in studio. You always bring somebody in to talk about whatever commodity we have selected for the day's topic. It's somebody that actually grows or harvests, uh, cultivates. And we're talking Arizona cotton. And Deanna, you had mentioned... Y'all do short staple cotton. Is there long staple cotton? Is there round staple cotton? Is there rectangle staple cotton? What, what does that Diagonal mean to me? Staple cotton. Uh, the short staple is what we grow here. Long staple is going to be anytime you see something that says Egyptian cotton or Pima cotton is going to be a long staple. Usually it's, it just kind of means it's a smoother thread. So it's a softer product. So most of your shirts are going to be made out of short staples in your jeans. Okay. And we have a branded Supima developed here in Stanfield, I believe, right? And it's uh, one of the long staples, very fine cotton. Uh, they make fine men's shirts with it and uh, some of our really fine fabrics. It's just a wonderful cotton product. So I wanted to give some statistics. We mentioned earlier that this previous year's uh, cotton harvest, the cash receipts were $200 million. At our peak in Arizona, when we grew cotton, anywhere from 500 to 600,000 acres, we'll compare that this last year. According to the USDA, we only have 75,000 acres of upland cotton planted. Uh, that's a decrease of 12,000 acres from the previous year. So there's been dramatic changes in acreage, and yet over the decades, our yields have continued to improve and continue to do so. You kind of indicated that with your farm. And Deanna, you had mentioned that sometimes y'all grow a crop for soil amendment. Mm -hmm. This 12,000 reduction in acres, is that like people alternating crops and we'll see it come back in a year or two? Or are they just gone completely? Cotton is really expensive. The materials needed, the tractors, the stuff is very expensive. A lot of people, it's, it's a lot easier to grow something like barley or wheat or alfalfa. You kind of put a tractor in once, you plant it, and that's kind of it. So it's a cheaper way. Plus, you have a better cash flow. With cotton, we start our expenses in about February, and we get paid the next year in January or February. So it's, it's a little harder. If you have something like alfalfa, you're getting paid every month. It's just cash flow. And we need cash flow. In farming. <laughs> That's why we grow more than one crop and we do a lot of different things. That's so interesting. What makes you so passionate about Arizona agriculture and farming? I can sense it when I talk to you and just the delight on your face when you talk about agriculture. We're good at it. We I think that's the big thing. Arizona, we're really good at growing crops. We have the ideal climate. We have so much history in it and that's what it takes uh, I've seen a lot of articles about the Midwest is the brain drain we have the generation the greatest generation and their their children are not farming so we we're losing so much knowledge and I think in Arizona we're still passing that generation down which I think is pretty cool yeah and it definitely is happening in the Dewan family I, I'm just so I can't, excited about yeah, that. Yeah, my dad, he, when he's doing things, he talks about the moon and the stars and, and everything. He knows, he knows the cycle. He knows what, airs, you know, what the weather's going to do, and he's so good at it. And I, I don't think I'll ever get all of it, but I'm trying to soak up as much as possible. One of our U of A professors talking to a farmer, he said one time the farmer told him, he goes, we're actually 
almost as much farming to the weather as we are farming to the soil and to the crop. Yes. So it, it's very amazing. So some other questions that I had for you is where do you see the cotton industry going? When we look at Casa Grande and Coolidge, we've got developments going in. We have some solar farms going in. So what do you see as the future? Uh, I know that's a tough question. It is, it is a tough question. I, I mean, I have hope. I have hope. It's going to matter. The farm bill is always going to matter. What the farm bill does, when we look at cotton, we have to realize that we're talking about a national security issue. It's not something that, that because it is fiber, some people don't think about it being a national security issue, but we have to have cotton in the United States being grown. Right. And what that's going to look like, I don't know, but, but we're going to have to do it. Well, and you've kind of even indicated your future. You might have fewer acres, yeah. but you still, it's very important for you to still have some land. Mm -hmm. And the realization that people need to get to is that because of those 300 plus days of sunshine we are growing year round i love it when my farmers tell me julie we can plant and harvest 12 months out of the year yes what you can't do that in the midwest you can't so it's uh and that whole food security issue a lot of people don't realize this is another one of the points i wanted to bring out about cotton it is actually a food crop as well yes Cottonseed oil, yeah. And it was just, it was added back into the farm bill, I think a couple of years ago, because the cottonseed oil. I'm glad you brought up the farm bill. We need to get that thing passed. The House now has a speaker, so maybe we'll move forward on some of this stuff, right? Yes, that would be great. Yeah. So you also teach. Yes. Give us that story. I'm a professor or professor of agriculture at Central Arizona College. I'm, I'm the only professor of agriculture now. There used to be three of us. I'm, we're down to me, but I kind of stumbled in that, kind of how I stumbled into farming. I had a friend, Skyla Teal out there, that uh, said, hey, there, we, need a, we need a teacher. Why don't you come? You have your master's. Why don't you just come over and teach? And I thought, I, I don't know if I really need to do that. And I think it was the best decision I ever made. I get to pass on my passion to not just my agriculture students, but I have regular students that would never talk to a farmer or get to hear the stories about growing. And it's it's really cool to get them excited about growing things. And you're getting new students every semester, so you have a new opportunity every semester to teach. How do you fit that into your growing season and your farming responsibility in a thousand acres? And a four-year-old. Yeah. Uh, I hate. You just got to do it. You just got to do it. No days off. No days off. You can go to azfb.org and sign up for a Farm Bureau membership. It's only $60 a year, and you support, support local agriculture. In Arizona Cotton with the Arizona Farm Bureau. Spokeswoman Julie Murphy in studio. And an interesting statistic you talk about how long cotton has been grown in Arizona in yes. one of these bullet points. You know, the Hohokum were growing it, and they were in the area, you know, it's estimated from 1 AD to 1450 AD. Right. So, I mean, it's been over a thousand years. And I have a firsthand story of interviewing an archaeologist that does his research in some of those ruins from the Hohokam. And he says, Julie, I've come across those cotton seeds, so I can guarantee you that they were growing cotton. I get that question often. Why are we growing cotton in the desert? 
Well, ask the Hohokam. <laughs> of course, we can't. They're a, a lost people group, but we have descendants from some of our other tribes here in Arizona uh, claim descendancy from them. So anyway, um, I also wanted to share some ecological benefits of growing cotton. So soil conservation, where cotton is grown, has increased by reducing soil loss by 68%. And part of that is their deep root system. If you pull up one of those cotton plants, it's got a pretty deep root system. Water used to grow cotton accounts for only about 3% of the world's agricultural water use. So that's one of those statistics that I sometimes use if somebody's asking me, why are we growing cotton in the desert? And compared to how many acres we used to plant, and grow here in Arizona compared to the 75,000 this year, uh, a lot less cotton than we used to. And here's another one of my, as it relates to ecological benefits. In the U.S., there has been a 50% reduction in the number of pesticide applications over the last 25 years. Cotton is a fruit. Most people don't realize that, but it's a fruit. And it draws bugs and a lot of bugs all kinds of bugs and so that's always been a challenge and we've even had some programs to eradicate specific insects one of the best seed technologies we've used that have helped us reduce that is the bt cotton or otherwise known as gmo cotton but it is good we've been planting it since 1996 it's been vetted most of your GMO crops that come on have to go through a 12 to 12 to 15 year process before it's legitimized for the market. So it's really important. Yes, it's 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 uh, it has a bad name. GMO definitely has a bad name. But when you look at so much good that it has done, like you said, it's taken essentially seven million vehicles off the off the road. With how many? How how? It's made us not go through the fields as much. That means the tractor's not burning gas. And we used to go through probably about seven more times than we do now in cotton. Wow. And we don't have to and, do that because of the technology. And that's that was applying pesticides. Pesticides and cultivation. Because even with Roundup Ready, because with the BT cotton, with insecticides, we also have Roundup Ready. So we're able to spray over with airplanes or we're able to put it in the water. And that's just, that's lessening our diesel impact. Yeah, so all of those things conservation efforts on an ongoing basis but now pivoting to something a little bit more interesting and fun you did a search on chat GPT about Arizona cotton what did you come up with I did I'm I, my students are using it so I better learn how to use it too I came up with about 12 yeah. bullet points so you know how to grade the papers like you didn't do this exactly <laughs> this is a little too smooth for you luckily we can run it through a search engine to say was this was this oh. done by a machine so the, my oh, students cool. know that I'm watching them but hey if you have something it's not going to go away so you might as well learn how to use it and if it helps you get ideas i'm great with it just it can't write your papers for you guys yeah. <laughs> all right but yeah but it, but it wrote your paper it wrote mine though <laughs> do what i say not what i do um so number one it's an ideal climate so we're definitely there yep we are known for high yields and I thought economic contribution. Cotton is a significant contributor to Arizona's economy. It provides income for farmers, supports jobs in processing, distribution, and generates revenue from cotton-related industries, such as textiles and apparel. So that was pretty good. Drought-resistant. Cotton varieties grown in Arizona are often bred to be drought-resistant. Yep. A long growing season. 
advanced technology that we use with farming practices, including precision agriculture and efficient irrigation systems. Rural communities. Cotton farming in Arizona is a cornerstone of many rural communities, providing employment and supporting local business. It maintains a strong sense of community and regional identity. I love Go that. chat GPT. <laughs> uh, export opportunities, sustainability, research and innovation, fiber quality. That's something, that's one of the reasons we grow cotton in Arizona. We, it doesn't rain a lot, so we don't have the damage once the cotton opens up with rain. Some years we do, but yes. And like you were saying earlier, we're alfalfa. You're harvesting every six weeks or, you know, sometimes even more. Cotton you only get to harvest once. So if it blooms and it rains and it ruins your your harvest that year that's a big hit that's a big hit yeah or a freeze hits early or a hailstorm anything like that any of those risks that we can't control yeah and we do have those risks like farmers say we farm to the weather as much as we do to the crop so professor what grade would you give chat gpt i think it only had one thing that i didn't quite agree with i can't remember which one it was but i thought it did very well i would i would give it a, a 92. okay <laughs> well that is so interesting the other thing well and i had one that wasn't on there um i had a conversation with uh another cotton farmer that julie had brought in uh over the years and he was talking about how cotton is you know biodegradable but a lot of clothes that are being made you mentioned textiles and these cities that manufacture textiles near the ocean or river runoffs mm -hmm. that you know making yoga pants and that type of material <laughs> the amount of plastic that ends up in the water just from them washing yeah. that material and what it's doing to the sea life and how they're looking at putting regulations and and more uh finding a better way to do that because of the adverse effect these plastic clothing materials are having you know in On their the local waterways so one of our cotton farmers i think from the midwest he buried a pair of his cotton all cotton underwear and six weeks later <laughs> came hopefully came, unused, <laughs> hopefully unused <laughs> pulled it out and the only thing that was still kind of intact after about i think it was six weeks something like that it was a shorter time than i thought it would was just the elastic band that was still together and giving some props to the ag, ag education department at the arizona farm bureau they did the same thing and sure enough all of the cotton part of the underwear had biodegraded so for the record cotton is very biodegradable water i'm kind of pivoting now to the water issue it's you know we do have serious concerns uh arizona farm bureau and our farmers and ranchers are front and center working on this because we're the ones targeted yes we do use 72 percent of the water that's available either uh surface water or groundwater here in arizona but we all use it because we all have to be fed and clothed otherwise we'd have some real issues so how are you handling the water issue especially in pinal county because pinal county got hit really hard these last couple of years. really hard yeah we um one of our farms isn't in an irrigation district it was one of those things that it would have been like a million dollars in this you know in the 80s to drill under i-10 so one of ours we've been running strictly pumps all the time so we've been in charge of all the payments on fixing those pumps which is not cheap not cheap at all and then my other uh i'm on the board for hocom irrigation district and hocom irrigation district is very different it's the only one of its kind in the united states the farmer 
members kind of waited on that till the CAP came through, and we needed places to go to the, with that water. So we actually kept our pumps. We own them, not the district. So in one way, that's good because we had control, but we've also had the upkeep for those and for those for the last 30 years. Wow. Yeah, and that's another thing that we have to learn and uh, take note of is that every region of Arizona water-wise is different. Yes. If you look at Maricopa County versus Yavapai County, I think they have surface water of 54%, but if you go to Yavapai, it's a completely different percentage. The same thing, Cochise. Cochise is all groundwater. They have like less than 2% that's surface water. So we have these different regions of Arizona that have different situations with their water. It's the same thing with the irrigation districts. Yes. Which, you know, as a kid, knowing that my dad always had to go to those irrigation district meetings and, mm-hmm. you know, I knew I was aware of it, but nothing registered. Now I'm realizing how distinct and different each irrigation and drainage district is within yes. even just one county. So it's very complex. It is. But it's a sophisticated system. And in many cases, it's worked for over 100 years. Yeah, yeah. We, they, for 100 years. Yeah, we've been pretty good at it. It's interesting to see where, where we're going to go from here. We're, I, don't, I don't think farming will ever see CAP again. I think that's pretty pretty much where we're at. But we're working on being more efficient. We're already 30% more efficient. I, I would actually say closer to 70% from when CAP first came in. We, our farming practices have improved by land lasering and stuff like that. We use less water and we use more consultants on is it really time to water we used to water to bring cotton up now we water about 10 days before we put the cotton we plant the cotton and then about three weeks later or four weeks later we actually water for the first time really and that's something we would have never done 30 years ago yeah will you continue even as ruby farms and some of the things you change shift do you see yourself as long as you have ruby farms growing cotton It's going to be hard on 400 acres. I always said the break-even point on cotton's about 300 acres, so it's going to be hard to do it. But at that point, is it going to be more of a hobby farm? Or I think we will. I I think as long as my dad's alive, we will grow cotton. I I think that's that's pretty much. He's 83 years old. He's still farming. He's still out there chopping weeds every day. So I I see us still continuing to grow cotton. You earlier mentioned He's planted his 70th crop or something? He's around 70th crop by himself, yeah. And you've gotten to watch him over the years. Why is he such a good cotton farmer? He's out there. He doesn't farm from his pickup. (laughs) I think that's what we call it. He doesn't farm from his pickup. You'll never know if he's the worker or the owner. People drive by all the time, and they're like, can we speak to the owner? And he just tells them to go on to the foreman. So he's (laughs) out there in the ditch. You'll see him uh, irrigating still at 83. He's he's gotten pretty good at at getting around. And he... What I'm struck with is his commitment for the quality of the cotton... And I think that's proven year over year with the yields that the Dewan family gets. People talk about your cotton. It, 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 it looks pretty good this year. Not as good as last year for sure. But yeah, he, he has always told me that if you put the money in the crop, 
no matter what the price is, you'll be okay. And that really has served us well. In the last, I've been farming for 23 years now with him. And I would have to say maybe two years that that's kind of hurt us. Maybe putting a little bit more. We've had uh, port heated Puerto Rican discussions <laughs> on when to pick, which is always doing business with family, which is lovely. But uh, that's, that's good. I, I definitely have a voice in it. <laughs> that is amazing. Uh, I'm also going to share with listeners that so... We know that we apply irrigation to Arizona cotton, but in the U.S., 64% of the cotton is grown by naturally falling rainfall, and irrigation water use has declined by 75% if you look at it nationally. So again, there's shifts and changes that farmers are always making. But in Arizona and California, and you alluded to this earlier, managed irrigation waters are cotton crops and that and that the methods continue to improve we actually have some cotton farmers that are doing drip mm -hmm. uh, siphon is a, is still very common but because like the dewan family you laser level those fields with a slight two percent yeah two percent fall fall and then what happens is it just soaks up all that water so you don't have any tell and i think my dad said that he reduced his cotton acreage use by a half an acre or an acre is that can yeah. the one family say that too yeah we're, we're pretty uh we've gotten like i said we've gotten more efficient on it and and using less water i i think farmers across the thing and i think arizona did something that california didn't do with the grandfather water rights you know 1981 1983 california didn't have grandfather water rights and i think that was really innovative for arizona and i, I really applaud them we're of course waiting for the pre or the governor's um board that yes. she put together what's going to come out of that yep and i had a question on that because this headline says arizona farm bureau moves away from governor's water policy council yes. yeah. what's that all about well so, i'll let you answer that yeah. right after this when i was a little bitty baby my mama were I didn't do this research, but based on the whole ho come history, I think back home growing cotton, we've got a couple more years on growing than Louisiana or back home Alabama. I, you know, that might be the case. I'm not sure. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, ho come people group for establishing a precedent that has lasted for centuries that we grow cotton here in Arizona. As we're going to the break, I read a headline that really kind of took me back because it's never been like the Farm Bureau to not be involved in right. topics of water. But this one says Arizona Farm Bureau moves away from Governor's Water Policy Council. Yes. What does that mean? Well, uh, Stephanie Smallhouse, who was appointed to it, and also Senator Kerr, Sina Kerr, had stepped away from it. But that doesn't mean that we're not continuing to work very hard to work things out and we're reaching out to the governor quite a bit and stephanie smallhouse if she was in studio she'd speak to it with much more eloquence and wisdom and insight than i can but i will tell you i believe arizona farm bureau did the right thing in doing that if uh sometimes we have to make i guess we can call it a dramatic move uh to finally be heard especially if it's not happening within the council and the committees. And Stephanie was quoted in that 
article saying sometimes to be heard, you have to walk away. Yes. Uh, and that doesn't mean we've walked away and we're not going to do anything. We eat and breathe and drink the water issue every day. And um, Arizona Farm Bureau is right on the forefront of it. And we're being led and directed with great wisdom and insight by our farm leaders, our farmer rancher leaders. This is, you know, this is not done by the staff. We carry out a lot of the duties, but uh, all of our policy is driven by our farmer rancher leaders, the Deanna Dewans of the world, letting us know what we need to do because their boots on the ground. It's you talk about your father. The reason, one of the reasons why you think he's such a good cotton farmer is he's he's not a drive-by farmer. Yes, he's on the ground and he knows what his crops need when they need it, and that's what's made it so important. But Deanna, in all of this, uh, looking at our water, looking at our future in Arizona, you know, what's one other key takeaway that you'd like? the listeners to hear in all of this i think that uh there's a wise farmer named bruce bartlett down there and yes he said something so profound to me he said my job is to take the water to change it to something that america people need oh and, and that's gosh, kind of we're, that. we're definitely stewards we change it into something that everybody uses every day right and and we want you to understand that we we, we we know how important water is in Arizona and we're you know we're stewards of it we we definitely we want it clean we need our soil clean we need our water clean and that's something that we're very committed to you know a study was recently done showing the efficiency of improvements and how if it's sprinklers you can have a uh, 85% to 90% uptake and efficiency use in sprinklers um, Drip is a little bit more. It's like 75, 76%. Yeah, I, w- I was able to work with Arizona Drip, the Wirtz family, for a couple years. And it is interesting that, I mean, we they were one of the innovators of uh, subsurface drip. And I know we're looking at, I've had, you know, people come over looking at doing above ground drip for us and different things like that. One of their biggest things is to improve uh production and with our production so high it's kind of hard for us to improve it and i think it also is you have to know your soil if you have sodium in it if you have salt in it those are two different things pushing the water down that's why flood irrigation has worked so well in arizona is because you need to keep those salts down and by flood irrigating that's how we've done it for years and why it Go ahead. Well, we have just about a minute left, and I wanted you to complete the cycle for Ruby Farms. Once you have harvested the cotton, you say you get paid once a year. When you know, where does that cotton then go? Most of the cotton will be shipped directly to Long Beach, and it'll go out on a ship. It used to go a lot to China. We all we all know that, but I think. There is, it's going a lot more to places like Vietnam and Thailand and places like that that are starting to spin the fiber more. And then it's being transferred from there to do actual textiles with it. And it, cotton is our big export crop. It is it's, huge. I think it's nearly 100% exported. But we need that because what comes back are dollars. So it's all good stuff. That's Arizona Cotton. You can look at that. Look up that topic at rosieonthehouse.com to catch the podcast. Julie Murphy joins us the first Saturday of every month in our Outdoor Living Hour. Next month, kicking off December, we're going to talk about generational farm families. Deanna, you might have to come back. You said you're fourth generation. Yes. Arizona? Yes. 
You can support local agriculture, azfb.org.